Mark Stein Christmas Show. Here's Mark. Merry Christmas to you and yours, and welcome to our 2020 Christmas show. And if it's just you and no yours, no Auntie Mabel, no kids or grandkids, because you're in tier four lockdown and forbidden from pulling a wishbone with persons non-resident in your abode this Yuletide season, I hope me and mine will compensate partially. When it comes to a bit of Christmas company, this time last year, we were in one of my favourite night spots in Montreal. With a packed stage, packed rooms, singers, comedians, actors, live band, good music, good food, waiters, barmaids, lighting crew, makeup ladies, hairstylists, cameramen, audio teams... And all of that is illegal right now in the province of Quebec and through most of the Western world. The stage is bare, the tables are empty, the marquee is dark. But we have some festive memories from my Christmas shows through the years, through the decades, in fact. And with some great live music all the way. All kinds, jazz, pop, folk, even some rap. Oh, and uh, ancient carols too. So let's start where we left off one year ago. Will you please welcome, as our first special guest, uh, this man is a colossus of rock and roll music going all the way back to the Guess Who and American Woman. Because let's face it, when you need a song about an American woman, you need a Canadian man. The Yanks just... (laughs) They can't do it. It's one of those, uh, what they call, what they call uh, one of those jobs Americans won't do. You need a Canadian for that. And after the Guess Who, uh, Backman Turner Overdrive, uh, you ain't seen uh, nothing yet, taking care of business, taking care of Christmas for us right here, ladies and gentlemen, Randy Backman. Good to see you, Randy. I'll have a blue Christmas without you I'll be so blue thinking about you Decorations of red on a green Christmas tree Won't be the same girl if you're not here with me And when those blue snowflakes start falling That's when those blue heartaches start calling You'll be doing all right Of your Christmas of white And when 
have a blue All right. Christmas without you Without uh, Randy Backman, and that was uh, Randy's son Tal uh, on uh, on piano there, and they're going to be. And Tal be will back, be uh, back with us a little later. A, uh, little For a while on my holiday shows, we used to have Martha Stewart come in with some appropriate seasonal dishes. Martha can be a terrific sport, as she certainly has been with me uh, when I've returned the compliment. Uh, if that's the way to put it, and made Thanksgiving pies or Christmas desserts for her. Here we are back in the kitchen in the Clinton era, as you'll hear. This was the first time I ever heard the word turducken, and also the first and last time I ever heard the phrase, you'll have to come for turducken. Now, Martha, uh, you on our Thanksgiving show, and frankly, I'm uh, only just recovered from Thanksgiving, which always seems to me is that the big American holiday around here. What's the big difference, as you see it, between Christmas and Thanksgiving? Well, there's a big difference for me between Thanksgiving and Christmas as a celebratory day. Uh, Thanksgiving is a traditional day, thanking our country, thanking our, our friends for the plenty that America has given us. Christmas is a religious holiday for, for me and for most people celebrating the birth of Christ. I love the weather. I love when the heat finally leaves. And in New York, we've had a very unusual autumn. It's been so warm. But uh, at Christmas time, it invariably, at least a little snow comes. Uh, the crispness of the, of the weather is so beautiful. Um, I like the hard ground. I like to look at frost on the window panes. And, right. and it's just is a, it's a very cozy time for me. And the house is, my house is a real Christmas house. Yeah. It has lots of fireplaces, and we burn lots of wood over the Christmas holidays. And, and uh, I like to see the lights in the windows. And a New England Christmas is very, very special because people do put the candles in the windows. Yeah. And you drive down streets and look for beautiful um, displays. Well, I wonder, though, if it is a class thing here. Because when you, when you get it up into parts of uh, Vermont and New Hampshire, you can see the nice little, the nice people uh, with, uh, who've come up <laughs> the with nice the weekend people. homes. So they've got the discreet candles in the windows. And then next door, there'll be kind of illuminated Rudolphs and Frosties right. well, all over the thing. Which very, side do you incline to? Well, I tend to incline towards the former. Mm. But um, this year in our magazine, we did some beautiful outdoor lighting um, 
features. And um, but what I try to encourage people to do is not to make your home a destination point. It's not the place you don't want people sort of stopping and looking at your home. Uh, it's nice to pass by, as you say, over the hills and dales. But when you're a destination point, you're in big trouble stylistically and yeah. aesthetically. Well, you do you do real gingerbread homes. You do you make these little gingerbread houses uh, every year. But what's interesting when you drive around is a lot of the homes that are tucked in the hills look like little gingerbread don't they? houses. And that's where we get the idea from. You're learning. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm acclimatized. But I think there is another reason for it too, and that's because of the long winters here. It actually cheers people up having being able to light their house. Oh, sure it does, and um, and it and it is also it's just it's just an indication that the Christmas season has arrived. Now Thanksgiving comes just a month before Christmas, and everybody in America has turkey. So what does that leave to eat on Christmas Day? Well, um, you can have turkey again. Mrs. Clinton told me um, not long ago that at the White House they have turkey on Thanksgiving and again on Christmas because it is the traditional American bird, and it is the bird um, that is most consumed during the holidays. Uh, I prefer on Christmas, I prefer having a goose, yes. or, um, or there's a, this great thing, I don't know, it's, I think it started in France, but it's called a turducken, do you know what, what that what's is? That? Turkey, duck, yeah. and chicken. A turducken. A tur oh, what did I say? What did, what did, what's it? Well, no, you said. Oh, I said turducken. Turducken, right? yes. Yeah, you can call it turducken. I mean, there's other silly names for it, but it, actually, it's a boned turkey. Yeah. I'm not making this yeah. this year because that's what my daughter wants, and she wants the turkey boned. Yeah. Then you bone, and but you keep it all intact. You just take out the carcass, right. you know, the bones, right. and then you bone a large. You can do a goose or a duck. A yeah. large duck. Yeah. And then a smaller chicken. Right. And you stuff each one, and you you stuff the you lay it all out, and you put first the little chicken that's all stuffed with something yeah. delicious, like yeah. maybe black truffles and bread, and then you stuff the duck, and you put that around the chicken, and then you sew that up, and then you put the turkey all yeah. stuffed with something else around. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Turducken. <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds like a monster. Sounds the turducken that hit New Jersey. But as you slice through, you know, there are no bones, yeah. but it looks exactly like the bird because it's formed that way. No, well, we'll, we'll, save, we'll save that for next year. Now, You'll have to come for turducken. Well, now, well, turducken sounds good. So that's what you're going to be tucking into tomorrow. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I have to say, I'm a, at Christmas, I'm a goose man. But the, uh, the thing with goose is uh, the pain in the neck is that every 15 minutes you have to keep scooping off the... Uh, the the fat out right. of the bowl. Right, or or do you do you cook it on a rack over a pan of boiling water in uh, the oven? No, no. Well, if no. you do that, it's real. It's a really good hint because if you put your uh, goose and I like to roast a yeah. goose hot. Yeah. Um, and it splatters all over the place. Yeah. You know, you might have a right. fire in your oven. So what I do is put a big pan of water underneath the rack on which the goose is positioned, yeah. and the fat just drops into the water and avoids all that, and you baste it with the boiling water, which melts the fat faster. Well, I wish I'd, I wish I'd known that, because before I always used to just scoop the goose fat off, and then you're supposed to keep the goose fat and cook things in oh, goose yeah, fat. Oh yeah, cassoulet, and, and you, know, you start to prepare all your wonderful, um, your wonderful, like, I, I would do duck and goose and, yeah. and preserve it in the fat. But, but apparently goose fat will kill you if you keep cooking stuff in goose fat. It's a great, great way, sure way to a heart attack by New Year's Eve, isn't it? Well, maybe. Depends. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way. You can try. <laughs> now, the other thing you're very keen on is, uh, is wrapping. And I'm not terribly good at it. Like, this is a, this is a traditional way of wrapping in, in my, uh, my oh. house. 
"'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." I think you fail. Martha Stewart. We tormented her with that as an annual running gag for a few years, and then one Christmas we decided to take it to the next level and find an actual rap combo to do it with. So here am I getting a rapping lesson from Spunk, Todd and Mad Drummer. A few weeks later, I was uh, strolling down the corridor at Broadcasting House in London and a rather overwrought lady producer popped up, clutched me by the arm and said, Oh, you were so brave to do that. And I thought I was just doing it for a laugh. Now, uh, when I'm rapping, I tend to do it like this. Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house not a creature was staring, not even a mouse. What's wrong with that? Hmm. Well, first of all, it sounds like it's a little um, offbeat. It sounds like, you, you know, there was no real rhythm there. It was like... You need a beat. You know what I'm saying? You <laughs> need, need a beat. Definitely. So in that way, you can be able to flow exactly to the beat. Because everything depends on your flow. When you get a flow, you got a beat, and your lyrics yeah. automatically have their own flow. Yeah. That flows That's with right. the beat to make yeah. a melody so that it comes together. Yeah. Lyrics and music make a melody. Make yeah. a melody. Yeah. Like a song makes yeah. a melody. Yeah. See? And we're rapping. Your lyrics is just another... <laughs> piece of the music on the track, you know what I'm saying? Well, how would how would you handle those two lines, the ones about the stockings were hung by the uh, the, the chimney spun? Well, um, well, you want a demonstration or something? Yeah, yeah, well, I'd like, you just told me I got no rhythm, so uh, let's, let's hear it. Do it, though. Uh, yo, I hang the stocking by the chimney. In the morning, I wake up with my coffee. Say, give me everything under the tree is good. It's all good in my hood. <laughs> you gotta add so you you can't the rhythm is there. Yeah. Now I'm bouncing. Like, the trouble, the trouble is, and I don't think you have a hood. In think mm. uh, everybody, everybody got, got a hood. hood. Every, all over the world. You got a hood. hood. You got a hood. You don't you even know hood. it. Really? You, you live, live in your hood. You Where you live hood. in your neighborhood? You know what the hood, hood is? It's yeah. short for neighborhood. I know. I know that. Your hood is what you are. Cause right. see, that's what we do. It's right. all good in the hood. It's all good. <laughs> well, you said you said I need some rhythm and I need some flow because uh, I haven't I haven't got it. So let's uh, let's let's have some rhythm and I'll try again. Uh, yeah, well, we got we got some rhythm there. Check it out. Check it out. I think I will check it out. Check it out. Here we go. Twas the night before Christmas and all right. through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay, let's spunk match that. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hope that St. Nicholas soon will be there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I'm into this. I'm in the hood. <laughs> Dashing through the hood without no reindeer or a sleigh. But here we come, come, here we come, come. Every Christmas day. Dashing through the hood in his drop top Chevrolet. And here we come, come, here we come, come. Dashing out, dancing out, prancer and vixen, on mm. Comet, on Cupid, on Donna and Blitzen. Like oh, man. <laughs> the reindeers have hoods. Yeah, yep. I heard. Yep. Right up with her. Yeah. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away, dash away. Oh, but I heard him explain as he drove out of sight. Merry Christmas to all and to all, all the good, good night. night. It's like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Happy holidays to you from Nate Doan, Dean of the Santa Claus School in Bay City, Michigan. If you want to be a Santa, there's no better place to train than Nathan Doan Santa Claus School. Uh, Nathan, the name comes from the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch uh, settlers, Sinterklaas. But uh, uh, the modern image dates back, what, a, a century and a half or so? Yes, I, I think the way that we picture our American Santa Claus came from Clement Moore in 18 and 22 when he wrote The Night Before Christmas. Mm. And that's the way our Santa Claus has been pictured and... and uh, Everything derives around uh, that time. And he, he, he didn't actually use the, uh, the term Santa Claus at all, uh, uh, Clement Moore, because he, he, he stuck to calling him uh, St. Nicholas. And, uh, St. Nicholas, mm. that's right. How many uh, would-be Santa Clauses have passed through the school? Well, I would say roughly about 1,400. I have trained about 800 students. Right. We don't necessarily have to have them fat and jolly. We just have to have them jolly. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, what, because uh, your school was uh, founded, I think, by uh, Charles Howard, and I did yes. hear that uh, they uh, they awarded BSCs. That's right. If After you've worked a year or two years and you think you're qualified to know everything there is to know about Santa Clausing, you're eligible to write a thesis, and uh, then it's approved by a board, and uh, if it's approved, well, then you're given a a diploma, a Bachelor of Santa Claus degree. A Bachelor of Santa Claus. And all the reindeer so the ba- are all males except one. Who, who's the one who's Vixen not a male? Vixen is a girl. Right. And all of the reindeer have horns, both male and female. Why, why is there only one girl on the team? Uh, that's the way it, Clement Moore wrote the, the story. And hmm. when we had school at one time, we had live reindeers from Sweden here at school. But in the mating season, they're very temperamental animals. And if you get a change at 20 degrees in the weather, you want to stay out of the pen. You don't go in the pen to feed them or anything. You just put the feed inside and stay away because they're very well, is violent. That, that's when, when the thermometer drops, that's when um, mating season starts. I mean, uh, that doesn't sound like much fun if you happen to be a uh, vixen and you've got uh, Dasher and Prancer <laughs> and Donner and Blitzen all ha- hanging. That's right. <laughs> I, I hope for vixen's sake the, uh, the weather stays mild uh, tonight. Um, do, you think, do you think Santa is just uh, someone who's just used as a salesman? Well, it's, uh, partially, yes. Hmm. But, you know, I've always told all of my students, if every child had the faith in God that he has in Santa Claus, you'd have the most wonderful world you could ever live in. That's a lovely sentiment for Christmas and wonderfully put by the late Nate Doan. Nate left us many years ago. He and his wife, Mary Ida, were Santa and Mrs. Claus at the Godain Sporting Goods and Hardware Store in Bay City, Michigan, for a third of a century. He travelled the world as far as Australia, teaching Santa school courses, and he was posthumously inducted as a charter member of the International Santa Claus Hall of Fame. Did you ever think we'd have a Christmas with no lines of excited kids waiting to sit on Santa's knee?
Re-Nate's observation on staying out of the reindeer pen. I know a little about reindeer because my New Hampshire neighbour Amy used to keep them at her farm and it was always exciting for the kids to see actual reindeer even if Amy's couldn't, alas, fly through the sky. On the subject of reindeer, here are two of my favourite Québécois. Dorothy Berryman, a great actress, the star of the Oscar-winning movie Les Invasions Barbares, The Barbarian Invasions from a few years back, and Monique Fauteur, the peerless vocalist of Quebec's all-time great progressive rock band Harmonium, all three of whose albums are listed in the all-time top 100 Canadian albums. Here are Dorothy and Monique singing together for the very first time on the Mark Stein Christmas Show, and I began by posing a very simple question. Can you name a famous reindeer? We know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. Yeah, but do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Oh, come on, ladies, you must remember the most famous reindeer. Ah oui, on l'appelait Né Rouge, ah comme il était mignon, le petit reine au Né Rouge, rouge comme lui mignon. Son petit nez faisait rire, chacun s'en moquait beaucoup. On allait jusqu'à dire qu'il aimait prendre un petit coup. Pleurer dans le noir Pour le consoler lui dit Viens au paradis ce soir Comme un ange né rouge Tu conduiras dans le ciel Avec ton petit nez rouge Le chariot du Père Noël Quand ses frères le virent d'allure aussi Suivre très digne les routes célestes Devant ses ébats, plus de reine reste à Baba Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer Had a very shiny nose And if you ever saw it You would even say it glows All of the other reindeer Used to laugh and call him names They never let poor Join in any reindeer games Then one foggy Christmas Eve Santa came to say Tu conduiras dans le ciel Le chariot du Père Noël Then how the reindeer loved him And they shouted out with glee Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer Annonçant le Père Noël Annonçant le Père Noël That's why you'll go down in history Annonçant le Père Noël Rudolf le petit nez rouge Merci Monique, merci Dorothée Votre français est très sexy Impeccable <laughs> I would imagine if you said that to me in English, it would lose a lot of translation. Oh, on a un beau Rudolf avec uh, nous. Uh, 
<laughs> now you know you you I've heard you mocking uh, <laughs> anglophones speaking Francais. What your what is it? Your niece, uh, je veux jouer au jardin. <laughs> oh yes. Oh no, that was my little niece. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Because my sister regretted not teaching her English. You know, right. because uh, yeah, she always spoke with her in French, and she she said that's too bad. So my little niece is about four or five years old by then, and she asks her mother, "Can I go play outside?" And the, my sister says, "Well, yes, but you have to ask me in English." So my little niece goes, "Peux-tu aller jouer du war?" Well, well, that's uh, that's that's very true. There's a lot of. It's bad. It's bad enough. It's it's going to be even worse if they start correcting our pronunciation. Uh, anyway, in, in compliance, in compliance with. In compliance with Bill 101, uh, Monique and Dorothy sang the French words twice as loud as the English words. Oh. That's, a, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a Quebec joke that the rest of the planet will be wondering what that was about. Uh, and, anyway, uh, thank you. That, that, was, uh, that was terrific. And uh, Joyeux Noël et bon fête. Joyeux Noël à toi, Marc. À toi aussi, Marc. Bonne année. Bonne année à toi, Dorothy. À toi aussi, Monique. That joke is just for us Perlin Quebecers. Dorothy and Monique will be back a little later. Oh, and what rollicking support the ladies had there from Eric Harding and the Mark Stein Show Band. If you've seen The Sound of Music, you'll know it ends with the Von Trapp family fleeing Austria. But did you know they settled in Vermont and opened a ski lodge? My neighbour from across the Connecticut River, Elizabeth Von Trapp, is the granddaughter of Baron Von Trapp, and Sister Maria from the show and the movie, she used to make the dindles for the waitresses at the Trap Family Lodge, and then her singing career took off, and so she doesn't make the dindles anymore. Her father sang with the Trap Family singers as a child, and thus he became a character in The Sound of Music, except that they changed all the children's names. Yes, and when we went to see The Sound of Music, we came to Burlington, of course, we got free tickets, which was really cool at the time. And um, my father said, what happened to all of our wonderful names? <laughs> <laughs> so he ended up with the name of Kurt. Yeah. And the whole time when uh, when Maria is talking about the children or they're being introduced, he was totally befuddled. He kept saying, what's going on? Who was who? And then they changed the gender of the older children. So it really... Um, was confusing from for a while, and we ended up having to sort of explain and bring him up to speed. And then once he realized his name was Kurt, everything was fine. <laughs> everything, yeah. It's it's uh, it is it is confusing. It's not uh, you are sixteen, you are seven, uh, going on seventeen. It's you are Werner going on Kurt. That's the <laughs> yeah. you've got to kind of follow the transitions there. But I they know. but they, he he was the um, second son. In real life, and and Kurt is the second son in the show. Is that that's? Uh, there are two uh, boys in right. the family of seven, and he's the younger right. boy, a younger right. son, and Werner von Trapp or Werner von Trapp. And we were discussing this the other day. And all through my childhood, and until my father passed away two years ago. I realized that people would come up and ask him even how to pronounce his name. And right. some would say, oh, Werner, and make it you know, sound very <laughs> American. Right. And others would try very diligently to say Werner von Trapp. But, but uh, Werner or Werner uh, was your father, and he was uh, one of those Trap family singers uh, for 20 years uh, in the famous Trap family singers. And just to pick up 
where most people know the story to. At the end of The Sound of Music, we see your grandparents and their children going up into the Alps to escape out of Austria. And uh, if they were to start a sequel, Sound of Music 2, it would show them coming down, up, up in the Alps out of Austria, and coming down into the Green Mountains of Vermont to start a new <laughs> life in the Green Mountain State. Well, that's a great idea, Mark. Let's follow up on that. <laughs> that's right. Let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's pitch it to uh, Paramount or whoever. Yes. Yeah. Actually, when we drove home the night of seeing The Sound of Music, mm. my father, both my parents, my mother is also from the Salzburg area. Right. She grew up in um, a suburb of the city. So growing up, she just was within the the beautiful parameters that you see, the beautiful um, right. scenery of The Sound of Music is what she saw and what she experienced. And she was just uh, totally taken by the beauty of the film. But when the whole family is making their trek over the mountains, they're both saying that's not the way to be going. And had they really done that, they would have ended up in Berchtesgaden in Germany, right where Hitler, his headquarters were, and right. not the place to be going at that time of the story. Instead of, instead of heading in the direction of Italy, they're actually walking basically uh, to <laughs> Hitler Central. <laughs> yes. and, uh, so, your, your, yeah. father, your father noticed that, though. Yes, you, I even, remember you telling me. He, yes, he, he noticed he, it. he pointed that out at the time, in the, actual, well, the first time he saw the, the film. And he couldn't believe that somebody would take the liberties to describe the end of the storyline and then actually use that mountain range because he, right. he recognized it. So did my mother. And we thought it was fascinating because we were starting to hear the real stories. Uh, you're going to do for us a song that might be on the next Christmas album. What's it, uh, what's it going to be, Elizabeth? Well, Angels from the Realms of Glory. Right, right. Okay, Angels uh, from the Realms of uh, Glory. Just, that's just wonderful. wonderful <laughs> it just gives it? you a little idea of what's going on with that song. An angels from uh, the realms of uh, glory. glory. And uh, <laughs> just lovely. Elizabeth Von Trapp, what a lovely voice she has. As the slogan says, outside the Trapp family lodge, a little bit of Austria, a lot of Vermont. And that's Elizabeth to me. And from my eastern shores of the Connecticut River in New Hampshire to Elizabeth and Edward, not too far away, 
across the western shores and into Vermont. I hope they're having a very Vermonty Christmas. Vermont, New Hampshire and Quebec are cold at Christmas, and so we sing not just Christmas songs, but winter songs. For when the ground beneath your boots is cold and hard, as Martha Stewart was talking about, and when the lakes and rivers are frozen. So here is a wintry song from Everything But The Girl. That's Tracy Thorne and Ben Watt, and they've had big hits on both sides of the Atlantic in the 80s and the 90s. But here they are with me precisely 29 Christmases ago. And it's one of the few songs I've actually written away from home. I mean, most of the stuff I write once I get back into the confines of the house again and I can sort of disentangle my notebooks and stuff but I actually wrote this in Japan although it has absolutely nothing to do with Japan at all. What's it, what's it called? Um, it's a song called Frozen River. Which, which has got nothing to do with Japan. <laughs> There's no I frozen think. rivers in Japan. <laughs> right okay let's, let's hear the song. Sure. Just hearing your wonder like a frozen 
Everything but the girl on a frozen river. Make the most of that live performance because they have not sung in public in 20 years. Sean Phillips is one of the great glories of screen and stage and of life, actually. She was married for 20 years to Peter O'Toole, which is not a job for the faint-hearted and is about 19 and a half years more than anybody else could have stuck it. Sean grew up in Wales, and this is the most famous piece there is about a Welsh childhood. It's by Dylan Thomas, and Sean goes back a long way with Dylan Thomas to when she was a child performer on BBC Radio. I started when I was 11. Right. And, and a couple of years later, you actually met Dylan Thomas. I did. I actually worked with him because we used to do uh, poetry programmes on the radio, and he at that time, although he was well known, I, was, I must have been about 13 or 14, but he was, he, was, he was well known, but he wasn't rich. Well, I don't suppose he ever got rich, did he really? He was always in financial trouble. And he was very glad of the work as a performer and he loved reading poetry. So we found ourselves on the same as one of five people reading verse on the radio. And normally what happens in the studio is it, everything was live in those days. And when people finished, they would creep out of the studio and go to the canteen or to the bar. Uh, they wouldn't stay there for the whole show. And he, who was supposed to be such a hellraiser and such a maverick, impressed me so much because I was the least important person <laughs> in the studio. And my bit came towards the end of the show as it happened. And he, I closed the show, and he did not leave after he'd finished his reading. And he sat quietly and politely there until I'd read mine. And then he stood up and he opened the door for me to leave the studio and I went out. I mean, I hardly dared to speak to him, of <laughs> course. But he, I thought, what a gentleman. And when I told this story to other people, they said, what? <laughs> So you, you, you were the Hellraiser treated you like oh, a lady. He really uh, did. He, he was absolutely lovely to me. Yes. Well, I, I, I could listen uh, to you read uh, the phone book or, or my tax return or any uh, my note to the milkman or anything. But uh, we've asked you to uh, do a little bit from A Child's Christmas in Wales. And, and just because I happen to like it, I threw in a passage from the earlier Children's yes. Hour okay. of, uh, of Dylan. Oh yes, which too. I like very yeah. much too. Yeah. I think it's really lovely. Okay. One Christmas was so much like another in those years around the sea town corner now, and out of all sound, except the distant speaking of the voices I sometimes hear a moment before sleep that I can never remember whether it snowed for six days and six nights when I was 12, 
or whether it snowed for 12 days and 12 nights when I was six, or whether the ice broke and the skating grocer vanished like a snowman through a white trapdoor on that same Christmas day that the mince pies finished, Uncle Arnold, and we tobogganed down the seaward hill all the afternoon on the best tea tray, and Mrs Griffiths complained, and we threw a snowball at her niece, and my hands burned so with the heat and the cold when I held them in front of the fire that I cried for 20 minutes and then had some jelly. All the Christmases rolled down toward the two-tongued sea like a cold and headlong moon bundling down the sky that was our street. And they stop at the rim of the ice-edged fish-freezing waves and I plunge my hands in the snow and bring out whatever I can find. Holly or robins or pudding, squabbles and carols and oranges and tin whistles and the fire in the front room, and bang the crackers, and holy, holy, holy ring the bells, and the glass bells shaking on the tree, and Mother Goose and Struel Peter, oh, the baby burning flames, and the clucking scissor man, Billy Bunter, and Black Beauty, little women and boys who have three helpings, Alice and Mrs Potter's badgers, Penknives, teddy bears, mouth organs, tin soldiers, and blancmange, and Auntie Bessie playing Pop Goes the Weasel and Nuts in May and Oranges and Lemons on the untuned piano in the parlour, all through the thimble hiding, musical sharing, blind man's buffing party at the end of the never to be forgotten day, at the end of the unremembered year. They were the useful presents, engulfing mufflers of the old coach days, and mittens made for giant sloths, zebra scarves of a substance like silky gum that could be towered down to the galoshes, blinding tamushanters like patchwork, and bunny-suited busbies and balaclavas for victims of head-shrinking tribes, from aunts who always wore wool next to the skin, there were moustached and rasping vests that made you wonder why the aunts had any skin left at all. And once I had a little crocheted nose bag from an aunt now, alas, no longer whinnying with us. And then the useless presents, bags of moist and many-coloured jelly babies, and a folded flag and a false nose and a tram conductor's cap and a machine that punched tickets and rang a bell, never a catapult, and a whistle to make the dogs bark to wake up the old man next door to make him beat on the wall with his stick to shake our picture off the wall, and a packet of cigarettes. You put one in your mouth and you stood at the corner of the street and you waited for hours in vain for an old lady to scold you for smoking a cigarette. And then, with a smirk, you ate it. Those are what they call sugar fags, and I don't think little boys are allowed to have them anymore. Dame Shan Phillips, with an excerpt from A Child's Christmas in Wales by Dylan Thomas. Nadoli Chwawan, 
Sean. I hope I didn't mangle the Welsh too much for you. Always a delight to be with Sean. And we will be together again, I hope, next Christmas. Shall we take our leave of Wales and hop across the Irish Sea? This year, for the first time ever, they cancelled the Eurovision Song Contest because of you-know-what. And so in lieu... I played a bit of me and everyone's favourite Colleen Dana talking about her triumph at Eurovision 50 years ago with all kinds of everything. And I was touched by the number of Americans who said they'd like to hear a bit more from Dana. Well, here are Dana and me way back in the 80s talking about her big Christmas hit. Is this a song you you still enjoy hearing? I do because, um, again... I think with every song, for everyone, it's maybe not 100% the song, mm. it's the memories attached to it. That's right. And I remember this song. Um, at the time, my record producer was a man called Jeff Stevens, who wrote that wonderful song, Winchester Cathedral. Oh, yes. um, I, He was a wonderful writer. And he wrote this song with Roger Greenaway. And Roger did the demo tape. Mm. At the time I was in Germany, I was recording in Germany, and uh, he wrote this song and it was very close to Christmas and he flew to Germany and we recorded it on the end of a session I was doing there so I I've only received the backing track and Roger's voice and Roger Greenaway um, has a really cute thing he can't say R and he lisps and it's really nice uh. actually and so the first time I heard it it went it's gonna be a cold cold Christmas and ever since then, every time I hear my version, mm. I hear Rogers. <laughs> and I like it. Ah, I see. You... Well, I can't say R myself, you know. Ah. I've always had problems with it from when I was a child. <laughs> um, but I find that attractive in other mm. people. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for popping in. and uh, enjoyed it. And uh, here is. It's going to be a cold, cold Christmas. According to the radio, Warmer weather's on the way And chances are we won't be getting snow But even if the sun shines From now to Christmas Day As far as I'm concerned I know It's gonna be a cold, cold Christmas Christmas tree And as I write this letter It's warm inside The log fire's burning bright Oh darling, if only you were here To make it right It's gonna be a cold, cold Christmas Without you Dreaming of those warm 
Gonna be a cold, cold Christmas, by Roger Greenaway and Jeff Stevens. Do you know what a Santa watch is? For many years, the man who did the Christmas Eve Santa watch on WDEV Radio in Vermont was Ray Burke, who was chief dispatcher for the Vermont Agency of Transportation, even though he was almost totally blind. Here I am in Montpelier. Asking Ray, what is a Santa watch? Well, it means that uh, with all our high-tech uh, paraphernalia, gear, radar and all that, and connections, we're supposed to be able to find out when Santa Claus leaves the far northern reaches of the North Pole and heads for our neck of the world and uh, enters Vermont generally through Canadian channels down through into either oh, Interstate 89 or Interstate 91 or sometimes the Lake Champlain. And he's a cagey cuss and he'll take a different route so that to outfox the kids, you know, so that they don't, they can't kind of figure out which way he's coming. How good a driver is Santa as he comes sweeping across? Well, he's got to do the whole it, state in, in oh a couple yeah, of hours. And, you know, one time we had a real hard-nosed cop up there and border guards and patrols and all. And they pulled him over. The sleigh was wicked overloaded. Right. And uh, they didn't have any health papers on the reindeer. And there's no backup lights, no taillights. And, you know, it could have thrown the book at him. Yeah. And then one time they had problem with, you know, they, they, well, let's face it. You look at the guy. He's got a funny red suit on and, and a beard. And he smokes a pipe. And Well, and he looked a lot of about yeah, well, and smoke true. a pipe. And that, that's <laughs> true. But most of them don't wear a red suit except in hunting season. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice, Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. So be good for goodness sake You better watch out You better not cry You better not pout I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town He sees you when you're sleeping He knows when you're awake He knows if you've been bad or good So be good for goodness sake Terrific, terrific stuff, Linda. That oh, is uh, that is definitely 
on the nice list. No need, uh, no need to check it uh, <laughs> twice, uh, twice at all. The irrepressible Linda Pearl with the Stein Show Band on our Christmas show four years ago. Linda was Fonzie's girlfriend in Happy Days and Michael Scott's girlfriend in The Office. And in between, she was Matlock's daughter. And as if that's not enough golden age of television cred, this year, Linda found love in lockdown. Every so often, I get an email from Linda about what she's up to. And obviously, this year's put a bit of a crimp in that because nobody's up to anything. But I noticed an email or three back that the sign-off had evolved to all best from Linda and Patrick. And I thought, Patrick? What's up with that? And it turned out that one of Linda's email musings on coping with lockdown had been forwarded or some such to the inbox of Patrick Duffy, who played Bobby Ewing in Dallas, round about the time Linda was in Matlock. And he was struck by it and wrote back to Linda. And one thing led to another. And uh, just as in a TV movie, love bloomed amid the COVID, which is very sweet. And between Happy Days, Matlock, The Office, and now Dallas, you can play Six Degrees of Linda Pearl uh, for the entire history of American television. All she needs is a milkman or a dry cleaner whose grandma did a guest shot with Milton Berle. Is, uh, is Santa Claus coming to town? Hey, let's check back with Ray Burke at uh, Vermont State Police Headquarters. I hear you got a blob on the radar. Can that be that, right? That blob is getting bigger, do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I thought... To... It's, it's coming due south, on a, yeah. uh, well, a little south-southeast little, so uh, that would put it, uh, I would say he's coming in on the, around the Derby line vector this year. Well, it, by what, unless he pulls a sneak and, and zigzags back across. Well, I, I hope I hope for your sake it is uh, Santa, because otherwise I think the Canadians might be launching an airstrike on Vermont from the look of <laughs> what's coming across that radar screen. <laughs> it that, is kind of thick. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this is a little different picture there. Well, well exciting, exciting times. <laughs> High cholesterol candy canes. What's that up on the roof? <laughs> Whoa! I think your radar's playing up, Ray. This is Santa Claus, Indiana. We're located uh, just about 40 miles from Evansville, called Santa Claus. And uh, it's a, that's a striking name for a town. How did, how did it get that <laughs> Well, there's a very interesting story there, sir. Uh, the town was named in 1852. Uh, the people, uh, there was approximately a little community of around 30 people, and they, would for months and months, had been trying to arrive at a name to call the town, the people being of German origin or German descent, the name Germantown had been suggested and did not meet the approval of the people. Uh, there was a Reverend Wittenbach, uh, he was the minister here, it was going to be called Wittenbachville and that did not meet, but uh, they had decided to meet on Christmas Eve and definitely at that meeting the elders or the leaders of the community decided we're going to name the town that night. So the meeting kept dragging and dragging and one of the men in the in attendance uh, realizing though it was Christmas Eve 
he, he sneaked out of the, the church, went home and got his Santa Claus uniform or outfit, then came back and when he walked in the church, the, the children immediately saw him and hollered, Santa Claus. So consequently, uh, the, the elders or the leaders of the community looked at one another and said, that's a great name, let's call it Santa Claus. So that's where the, the town was named. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. Now, how do I get to Santa Claus' number one uh, attraction, this uh, Winter Wonderland Holiday World Santa Claus North Pole theme park? Where's that? Leave Candy Cane Lane and head west. Take Joy Lane and Jolly Lane to Chestnut by the Fire, come off of Dasher and Dancer, and uh, run into Carroll Hills, and then to Donder. And it comes out on the Holly Drive. Right. And follow Balthazar back around to Slaybell, to Prancer. Turn left on Prancer and you're there. Right. But um, the park is closed in the wintertime. When Santa Claus gets your letter. You're the, uh, the postmistress uh, here. How do, you, how do you feel about living in a town called Santa Claus all year round? Uh, well, I've grown up in nearby town, so... It's just something that's, that's just the way it's always been, you know. Didn't think too much about it till I started working for the Postal Service. Yeah. And then you realize uh, how unique it is. Well, this, this is the only U.S. post office that has a Christmas tree on display all year round, I think. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> we have a, a Valentine tree, we have a St. Patrick's Day tree, we have an Easter tree, you know. We change it every month with the holiday. And what, what do you, because you hang different decorations according to the holidays, mm -hmm. what do you hang on the, uh, the St. Patrick's Day tree? We have uh, shamrocks, yeah, green shamrocks. And, and the Easter tree? Easter tree has uh, Easter eggs on it and little bunnies on roller skates. A few weeks ago there was a, a minor controversy blew up when the, uh, the, the, the U.S. Postmaster General said there weren't going to be any more uh, Christmas stamps and that it wasn't the, the business of a federal body to uh, promote uh, one particular religion and this kind of thing and the separation of uh, church and state and all the rest of it. Are you worried that some uh, big uh, guy from uh, head office in Washington might come and insist you take your tree down? <laughs> no, uh, they told us that we could have a tree. Part of that has changed since it came out in the news the other week. We can now say Merry Christmas. We don't have to just say Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas from Sandy Collion, postmaster of Santa Claus, Indiana. Merry Christmas to you. Santa Claus, Indiana. How about Monique Fauteuil singing North America's oldest Christmas carol and singing it in English, in French, and in the Huron language of Wendat. Wendat, dat right now. Es don yaron de tsoun we Jesus on na wa de wa do gi non wanda shkwanda E no shio shkwadri o dan no wandi ron rashata Yezusa adonia, Yezusa adonia, Yezusa adonia Was in the moon of 
winter time when all the birds had fled, the mighty Gitchimani to sent angel choirs instead. Before their light, the stars grew dim, and wandering hunters heard the hymn. Jesus, your King is born. Jesus is born. In excelsis gloria. Écoutez les anges du ciel, leur chant vous dit ceci. Marie a enfanté un fils, c'est lui le grand esprit. Suivez l'étoile qui mène à lui, que sa lumière guide vos vies. Jésus le grand esprit, Jésus est né, in excelsis gloria. Sons of many too, the holy child of earth and heaven is born today for you. Come kneel before the radiant boy who brings you beauty, peace, and joy. Jesus, Adonia, Jesus, Ene, in excelsis glory. Uh, that was wonderful, Monique. Very, very eerie, <laughs> spooky, uh, slightly otherworldly, otherworldly sound to it. And I said you were, we were talking about the three languages uh, that uh, that that song is written in. But there's actually a fourth in there because you did a bit of Latin as well. I think uh, somewhere in the middle. Quite there. so, yes. So that may be a world record. That will that will probably be the most languages you hear in any Christmas song this holiday season. <laughs> Monique, that was uh, that was terrific. Merci beaucoup. Oh non non, merci beaucoup à, à toi, Monique. And Monique, photo with uh, Stéphane Aubin at the piano. This terrible year of 2020 began terribly even before the COVID. Just a month into it, the great Orson Bean was crossing the street in Venice, California to meet his wife, Allie Mills, from The Wonder Years and The Bold and the Beautiful at the theatre on the other side. He was hit by one car and fell in the middle of the road and was hit by another all in front of Allie. Orson was 91 and in magnificent health and could reasonably have expected to have taken his leave on stage from a sudden heart attack some years after his centenary. As it was, one of his final performances was on last year's Mark Stein Christmas show, where he absolutely delighted the crowd in one of his favourite roles. Now let's see, who do we have here? Me! Yes! Every Christmas show needs an Ebenezer Scrooge. Bah! I hate singing. <laughs> and we have one of the best, ladies and gentlemen, Orson B. 
Now, uh, now tell, tell, tell me something, Orson, because yeah. you grew up not far from here yeah. in Burlington, Vermont. I was almost Canadian. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's right, just like Chester Arthur. Um, and uh, you, you grew up, though, in like the most stinkingest, lousiest time to be a kid. I was born in the last year of Calvin Coolidge's presidency. Wow. Right. Not bad. No, no. That's... I loved it. Everybody said Merry Christmas then. Oh, right. Everyone right, in the street right. said Merry Christmas. It was glorious. You know, December 22nd is the shortest day of the year. Right. And back in the cave days, they didn't know if that little big ball of fire was going to get smaller and smaller and finally disappear. So by the 23rd, it didn't seem to be getting any further away. By the 24th, the sharpest eye in the clan, maybe the medicine man, could say, I think it's coming back. But he didn't say anything till the 25th. And he said, it's coming back. Big celebration, extra pterodactyl for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's why everybody's happy at Christmas time. Yeah, yeah, you can't beat the pterodactyl. I hope some <laughs> of you ordered it. Not, not the vegan option, the pterodactyl, but the... Um, <laughs> Now, now you had Christmas stockings back then. Oh but, yes. But you, you did, and this is a lesson for boys and girls who mm. think they can stay up and trick Santa uh, and get a heads up on what they're getting for Christmas. I was an only child. My my parents were invited for a Christmas party on Christmas. They just left me home. I was seven or eight. Nobody needed a babysitter in those days, but. Apparently, I woke up about one in the morning to see if Santa had come, and I ran out, and my stocking was hanging there, and I looked in, and there was a half a dollar in it, and I said, he left me a half a dollar. One of the guests at the party before they left had dropped in a half a dollar. I went back to sleep, half a dollar from Santa. Yeah. In the morning, of course, there were other things in there, mainly an orange at the bottom. We hated an orange at the bottom of the stocking. It took up most of the stocking. Nobody, nobody likes that. It now. was the Depression, though. And, you know. Yeah, well, your parents had a better excuse. It was the Depression. I mean, I, I got the orange, and I always hated that. You think, oh, that, look at that big lumpy stocking. There must be catapults and all kinds of great things in there, all like boy toys, and then there's like two satsumas and three walnuts. It's always... <laughs> It's always a cheat to put the uh, Gave the me wonder, said it best. He said, looking back on when I was a little nappy-headed boy, <laughs> then my only worry was for Christmas what would be my toy. Uh. Even though we sometimes did not get a thing, we were happy with the joy the day would bring. I love that. We didn't often that's get a, much. That's, a, that's the best Stevie Wonder impression <laughs> I've ever <laughs> We should all just leave now. Nothing's going to top that. People will be going home saying, that show was a fiasco. But the, the guy who did Stevie Wonder, yes. I thought he was there. I thought he was in the room. Now, you're, you've, you've been doing for years yeah. a, an adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. And I wanted you to do what uh, is one of my favourite bits. And doesn't people do, uh, people do the bit in the office at the beginning, yeah. the bar humbug yeah. bit. People do the bit with Tiny Tim, but they don't often do this, this one, which is... Rather triste. Yes, it's triste. I think that's... that's well, we're in Quebec. A lot of things are triste in Quebec. Uh, so, uh, so we will bring out for you, to do that uh, particular bit of A Christmas Carol, we need a ghost of Christmas past, and frankly, he died during that last number. <laughs> 
Uh, will you welcome back Tal Backman, ladies no, and gentlemen? No. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Funny you don't look like a spirit. Thank you. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Christmas past? Long past? No, your past. Rise and walk with me. Touch my coat and you shall be upheld. Good heavens, I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. Spirit, conduct me where you will. You recollect the way? Recollect the way. I could walk it blindfold. My little village with its church and bridge and winding river. These are but shadows of things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. Oh, look, my schoolhouse. My little childhood schoolhouse. The school is not quite deserted. A solitary child is left there still. I know. I know, Spirit. I know only too well it is myself. Another Christmas all alone. Uh, Poor boy. I wish... What is is it? There was a child singing a carol at my office door this morning. I should like to have given him something. Nothing of consequence. Hmm. Well, let us see another Christmas. This warehouse we approach, you know it? Do I know? You asked me if I know this warehouse. Wasn't I apprenticed here? Oh, it's Fezziwig. Bless my heart, it's Fezziwig alive again. Yo-ho, Ebenezer! That's me, that handsome young fellow he's pointing at and calling Ebenezer is me. Bell! Bell Wilkins, to be sure. Oh, be still, my heart, Bell Wilkins. We used to smoke the eucalyptus leaf together behind, but that's another story. <laughs> Yo-ho, me heart, is no more work today. Oh. Christmas Eve, Bell! Oh. Christmas, Ebenezer! Yes. The goose is roasting, the yule log is blazing, the mistletoe is hanging. Make some room here, Mr. Piano Player, take your place. Bless me, everybody. Take your place, take your place. Bezzywig. What an employer to work for. So generous. And was it not a small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude? Small? Well, why is it not? He spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four perhaps. Mm. Is that so much that it deserves this praise? No, no, you don't understand. You, you don't get things, do you, Spirit? <laughs> May I call you Spirit? Please. You see, the happiness he gave was as great as if it had cost a f- fortune. Hmm. I was just wishing I could speak a word or two to my clerk, Bob Crutcher. Now that's all, nothing of consequence. My time grows short, quick. Yes? It matters little, to you very little, Ebenezer. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you, Belle? A golden one. There is nothing on which the world is so hard as poverty, and there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. Our betrothal agreement is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so. 
With a heavy heart, I can release you. Have I ever sought release? In words, no, never. In what, then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit. If this ring had never been between us, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? Speak up, you fool, speak up! Ah, uh, no. You think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could. Here, take this back. Don't take the ring back, you fool! I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Oh, don't take the ring back, oh, spirit. Conduct me home. I can bear no more. I told you these were things, shadows of things that have been. They are what they are. Do not blame me. Show me no more. Why did I let her go? My heart is broken. Why did I let her go? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Al Batman. And Orson Bean, ladies and gentlemen. The late Orson Bean. What a terrible end to a spectacular career. We send special thoughts to Ali spending her first Christmas without her beloved Orson. And I send this in Orson's memory from a guy I know he enjoyed meeting very much at last year's show, the great guitarist Russell Malone. There's some lovely green room photos of them together. I could listen to Russell play The Wheels on the Bus Go Round and Round. So for Christmas, I always just ask him to surprise me and do just what he wants. Here's how it went a few years back. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going you're gonna to like this. It's the Russell Malone Quartet celebrating Christmas. Right here.
the Russell Malone Quartet, and Christmas time is here. Let's bring back my friend Dorothy Berryman for the American Christmas classic, but with a twist. The only reason we're all making a fuss this time of year is the birth of a baby. That's Christmas. That's the miracle of Christianity, a great universal religion founded upon the delivery of a child. But sometimes fate can be cruel enough to mock the very meaning of the day, as it did for the composer of White Christmas, Irving Berlin. Here's Irving's daughter, Mary Ellen Barrett. There is... Um, an aspect of your Christmases growing up that you you didn't fully uh, understand at the time that, that on Christmas Eve your parents would would disappear uh, for, for for one part of the day and at the time you never fully understood why ah yes well um, that um, had to do with something that happened when I was too young to remember and I was not told about uh, till quite a bit later and however uh, what's behind this is that on Christmas Day, 1928, um, my newborn baby brother, uh, I believe he was about three weeks old, died. Uh, nobody ever knew quite, I guess it was what they call now crib death. Um, and this was a great, great tragedy uh, in my parents' life. And so um, it was something they found unbearable to talk about. And I found out about this on my own when I was about 10 years old. And finally, later, my mother would talk a little bit about it. But it was just, it was a great tragedy for them. And so when I was little, every Christmas Eve, they would go out on this mysterious errand. And from the look on their faces, I didn't think it was something to do with the Christmas surprise, so that's what my mother said. But of course what they were doing was going to the, ba to the baby's grave to put flowers on the grave. Uh, so there was this shadow for my parents on Christmas, but they determined that this shadow would not spoil the day for their 
three daughters. And so they made it this glorious event. But years and years later, uh, when we were all grown up and had our own families and our own Christmases, and my parents did not celebrate it very much, then my mother said to me, you know, your father and I did not like Christmas. Uh, it was a very hard day for us, but we wanted it, be, it to be happy uh, for you children. Ever since Mary Ellen told me that story, I hear it every time I hear White Christmas. From the same Christmas show, here are me and Mary Ellen round her dad's piano, his Buick, as he called it, because it had a special transposing mechanism that shifted keys rather as one would shift gears. Irving Berlin needed this because he could only play the piano in the key of F sharp, which is all the black keys which stand up and stand out. So it's a good key to play in, uh, but not a good key to compose in. Hence the uh, lever. So here are Mary Ellen and I taking an old Buick out for a spin with one of her father's most famous songs. I know lyric writers are entitled to take a little poetic license, so with a bit of help from uh, Mary Ellen, what is the problem with, uh, with uh, this verse? All right. Are you, are you I'll, I'll, to... I'll, I'll do it, and you can, you can nestle underneath uh, t- tastefully. Okay. The sun is shining, the grass is green, the orange and palm trees sway. There's never been such a day in Beverly Hills, L.A. Well now, spot the deliberate mistake. Ah, my mother pointed out to my father when she heard the verse that you cannot say Beverly Hills, L.A. L.A. is a city, and so is Beverly Hills. Uh, it would be Beverly Hills, C.A. For, for California. California. <laughs> and my father said, thought about it a little, he said, no, he said, that's the way I want it. Well, and that was his response. My mother very rarely corrected my father. Uh, but... If she did, the general response was, that's the way I want it. Well, I think I'm with your father on, uh, on that one. We'll be having zip codes in the, uh, in the song. But the next two lines are the ones, uh, on the ones I, really, I really like. And I think this is a first uh, for most people because this is uh, this famous song uh, played on Irving Berlin's very own piano. I love these two lines. But it's December the 24th.
a rare duet, uh, Irving Berlin's daughter, Mary Ellen Barrett, playing his uh, piano and with a little help. I am so rusty. Uh, don't say that, because unlike your father, <laughs> you can play the white keys. I never thought I'd see anyone playing an Irving Berlin piano and playing the white keys. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's a first occurrence. May all your Christmases be, uh, be white, Mary Ellen Barrett. Yours too. Merry Christmas. And let's hear that lovely verse one more time. December the 24th And I'm longing to be up north I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen mm, To hear sleigh bells in the snow I'm dreaming of a white Christmas With every Christmas card I write May your days be merry and bright And may all Christmases be white It's over seven decades since Irving Berlin bashed out White Christmas on his key-shifting Buick. The world it was born into is long gone. All those homesick GIs out in the Pacific, sitting in the sand and watching Bing on USO Christmas tours. But the original recording remains the biggest selling record in the world. And the song itself is embedded at the heart of the Christmas season. Not a song about snow, but a song about home. My friend Monique Fauteuil is here. Grab a line, Monique. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen To hear sleigh bells in the snow Just hear those sleigh bells in the Christmas with every Christmas 
Christmas card I write May your days be merry and bright And may all your Christmas Très chère Monique et moi avec Mary Ellen Barrett, Irving Berlin's daughter, and Irving Berlin's piano, and a song that is about Christmas, but also for those who were there when it was born in the hell of World War, a song about longing for home and normality when you're far from home and things are far from normal. And that is where much of the world is this Christmas of 2020. It doesn't get any better at Christmas time than the great Irish tenor Anthony Cairns singing one of the great enduring carols. In your university days, you saw rather more of that uh, Rosslare Fishguard ferry right. uh, than many people would have an appetite for. Uh, but we're going to ask you to musically uh, hop on that one uh, and. Uh, uh, do an uh, old English uh, Christmas carol, or according to what other people say, this one may have been written by a former king of Portugal. Okay. Um, in which case, when you're on the Rosslare Fishguard uh, ferry, seize the wheel and head south <laughs> halfway through. Uh, but um, whether it's Portuguese or English, uh, this is the guy to sing it. Uh, Anthony is going to uh, follow that beautiful Irish song with O Come All Ye Faithful. <coughs> Christ the Lord. 
Anthony Cairns, Summoning the Faithful. Anthony and I were going to do a St. Patrick's Day show this year and film it somewhere in the Emerald Isle, maybe in his corner of Erin uh, in uh, County Wexford, down in the uh, southeast. But by March uh, 17th, County Wexford was closed. Ireland was closed. Europe was closed. And that was that. But one day I promise... Anthony and I will do that St. Patrick's show and we will wallow in shamrock-hued sentimentality such as you have never seen because the great lesson of this last year is that you never know when they'll take it all away from you. As I mentioned a few days ago, my friend Jessica Martin and I had a modest hit with a marshmallow world a few years back, so a couple of years later we decided to redo it in a disco arrangement. Because I was thinking how back in the disco era, there was a whole mini-genre of singers remaking their old hits in disco versions. Andy Williams did a disco version of the theme from Love Story, and Sinatra did a disco version of Night and Day, and Ethel Merman did a disco version of There's No Business Like Show Business. And one day on the air, the late Alan Combs said to me, yes, that's all true, but they were doing 70s disco versions in the 70s. You're doing a 70s disco version a third of a century too late. Oh, my. Anyway, here are Jessica and me discoing a marshmallow world and with apologies to Christina Rossetti and Gustav Holst using In the Bleak Midwinter as an introductory verse. Sweethearts Take a walk with 
a sugar day. And why the spring is late. In the winter it's a marshmallow
Jessica, me, and Kevin Amos and the band in fine fettle. Can't top that. For a few years in my life, I served as a, uh, a lay preacher, I guess you'd say, and did the Christmas Eve candlelight service in my little village church in the hills of New Hampshire. You know how it goes, lessons and carols, no big 40-minute sermons. But I guess my old showbiz mise-en-scene skills kicked in because I came to learn that it goes better the more you keep the focus on Bethlehem and midnight and the birth of a baby. As I mentioned on stage during last year's show, uh, just before Anthony's song. Uh, but I broadened it out slightly in my final words to the congregation. So just before Kevin and our wonderful Mark Stein show band play us out, I'd like to quote again these words spoken by King George VI in his Christmas message to the Empire in 1939, the first yuletide of a very dark time. It was his young daughter, Princess Elizabeth, now the Queen, who brought them to his attention. By Minnie Louise Haskins from her poem God Knows or The Desert from 1908, but they applied 30 years later, and they apply now over a century later. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be better than light and safer than a known way. One day we shall be out in the world again, on stage with great music and good company. Till then, Merry Christmas and bring on 2021. The Mark Stein Christmas Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. Reserved.